Welcome to the Radiant Podcast. We are so glad you joined us today. This podcast features messages, interviews, and discussions from Radiant Church located in Seneca, South Carolina. For more information about Radiant, visit RadiantChurchSC.com. Here's today's episode. Hey, welcome to the Radiant Church Podcast. My name is Andrew Bullard. I am the pastor here at Radiant Church, and we're located, by the way, in Seneca, South Carolina, just a few miles away from Clemson, and we are going to do our very best to get some midweek episodes up here in between our Sunday messages. Now, we're always going to have Sunday messages available on this audio podcast and online at our website and our socials. Um, In fact, if you aren't subscribed to this audio podcast yet, I just want to encourage you, man, go ahead and do that. Uh, If you like watching us on Sunday mornings, that'd be great. Just bookmark our website or like and follow us on our socials, Facebook and YouTube is where we have the Sunday messages up and running in video format. I'm not quite on Instagram, but of course on uh, those two channels. But right now at Radiant Church, we're in a series of talks centered on the book of James. And we're going to go chapter by chapter every week. And we don't have time to get into all the details verse by verse. And so we're going to take big chunks at a time and focus on you know, those areas while leaving other parts of the chapter sort of untouched. That's what's happening on Sunday morning right now. And we just spent time in James chapter 2 this past week, and we really jumped into the first half, which is the first 12 verses or so. And James talks a lot about prejudice and how to reject prejudice. But of course, there's a very big second half too, right? This is where I think one of James's most famous positions comes into play. And it's the last half of chapter 2 where he talks about works and faith and how they actually go together. And uh, that's what we're going to talk about here today. We're going to start in verse number 14. So what I want to do is just want to read this because you might be driving or working out or whatever and you can't read it. I want to read this for you. And then we're going to jump right in and just kind of tear this apart a little bit, okay? So verse number 14, James says, What good is it, brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but don't show it by your actions. Can that kind of faith save anybody? So suppose you see a brother or a sister who has no food or clothing, and you say, goodbye, and have a good day. Stay warm, <laughs> eat well, man, right? Uh, but then you don't give them any, any food or clothing. So what good does that do? And then verse 17, so you see, faith by itself, it's not enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it's dead and useless. Now someone's going to say, well, some people have faith and others have good deeds. But I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. Verse number 19, you say you have faith, for you believe there's one God. Oh man, good for you. Even the demons believe that, and they tremble in terror. How foolish, she says. Can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? Skip to verse 21. Don't you remember that our ancestor Abraham was shown to be right with God by his actions when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see, his faith and his actions worked together, and his actions made his faith complete. And so it happened, just as Scripture said, Abraham believed God, and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. He was even called the friend of God. So you see, we're shown to be right with God by what we do, not by faith alone. Verse 25, Rahab the prostitute is another example. She was shown to be right by God through her actions when she hid those messengers and sent them away safely by a different road. Just as the body is dead without breath, so also faith is dead without good works. Okay, so let's really jump into this for a moment. Because it sounds like James is saying, hey, the hallmark of a true Christian, of a true follower of Christ, is that they have a lot of good works to show. 
And, and you know, here, here, here's the thing. Look at verse 14. I mean, he, he hits you hard with that, right? I mean, verse 14, he says, Your faith isn't good without action, right? I mean, he just right off the gate. And then, in fact, let me just do this for a moment. Let me just actually highlight all the places where he says faith is kind of useless without work. So verse 14, right off the bat, faith isn't good without action. Verse number 17, it's useless unless it produces good works. Verse number 18, how can you show me your faith if you don't have works to go with it? Look at verse 20, faith without works is useless. Verse 22, faith and actions work together. Verse 24, we're right with God by what we do, not just by our faith. And then verse 26, faith is dead without good works, like our bodies are dead without oxygen. So you kind of get the idea, right? I mean, it's all throughout this, this passage that faith and works have to go together. And I've always heard the equation for salvation was simply just Jesus, right? If you have Jesus plus anything else, it's not in line with Scripture. And so James sounds like he's all in for having faith and works. And so are we saved just by our faith or do we have to do things to earn that kind of salvation? This has been a big argument for centuries. Now, I want to say this, okay? That is the wrong way to look at what James is writing about here. If you're thinking James is trying to make the argument of faith and works, and that's how you get salvation, that's the wrong perspective and the wrong position to have. That's not what he's actually saying here. He's trying to prove your salvation is through a combination of faith and works. So a little bit of background. This is important to understanding kind of where he's coming from. He's Jewish, right? So James is Jewish. He's, he came from a Jewish background. He, it's rooted in Judaism. I mean, he grew up steeped in Judaism, right? And in Judaism, especially first century Judaism, uh, works really defined your eternal security. So the more works you did, the good things you did, the more favor and blessing God gave you, and the more secure your place in eternity is. If you did bad things, though, God's going to curse you. Some bad things happen to you, right? And so works are paramount in first century Judaism. They're a central component to the Jewish faith. But James is not trying to bring that into Christianity here, okay? I think what he's actually doing, what you're going to see as we kind of jump into this here today, is that he's making the point that your works are a byproduct of your faith, right? So works aren't done apart from your faith, but works rather are done in faith because of your faith. So faith is the underlying bedrock of a Christian, right? And so really, I need to define what faith is for a moment before we keep going. Because if I don't do that, you know, a lot of folks say they know what faith is. There's a lot of you, maybe you're listening right now, you don't know what faith actually is, you just hear the term. And so I, I just want to get us all on the same page and the right definition of what faith really is. So there's a famous verse in Hebrews chapter 11, verse number 1, that says this, that faith shows the reality of what we hope for and is the evidence of things we can't see. So faith is trust. I'm trusting in God to do what he says he'll do. I can't always see God at work, but I know that God's going to keep his word. So I know that God's acting. So the author of Hebrews, he's going to go on to show all kinds of examples of great men and women in the Old Testament who never saw the things that God promised. So guys like Abraham and Rahab, who, who James mentions in this passage, they're also in that chapter, Hebrews 11, uh, where that uh, verse on faith comes from. But they believed God would keep his word and they would he would bring about the promises he spoke of, okay? Now that is a deep trust. That's what faith really is. Faith is trust. So as a follower of Christ, I'm going to have a deep trust uh, or faith in God, okay? I trust everything that God says will happen is actually going to happen. I trust that he'll always be working even when I can't see it. 
You know, we, we sing that song on Sunday sometimes, right? Even when, you know, I can't see it, you're working, right? That, that, that's faith. God is working even when I can't see it. I trust that I'll have my sins forgiven if God forgives me. That's all faith. And it is the bedrock of a Christian's life. Now, James is not saying, I'm going to show you the things that I do meaning my works, instead of my trust and faith in God. What he's saying is, I will show you my trust and faith in God by what I do. So our trust in God needs to be paired with action in the sense that we should not be consumers. All right, now we don't get to say, oh, I love God, I said the prayer, I'm forgiven, I'm good, and do nothing. You, 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 know, you go to church, great. You watch online, man, that's so good, especially in, in the COVID era we're in right now, right? Or you meet with your small group or your Christian buddies and kind of huddle up and the, oh, that's all great. That's consumption though. It's not an active faith. That is consuming. So James would have a hard time with that. In fact, he's going to ask two rhetorical questions early on in this passage with verse number 14. First, he's going to ask, what good is faith without action? And the answer, of course, is it's not good. The second question is, can, can that kind of faith save anybody? And, of course, the answer, again, is kind of the same, no. Um, the first question implies faith that's without action, which, which I'm also going to say is just, just consumption here, okay? It's useless. What's the point? And the second specifies that salvation isn't really evident in your life. So, remember, he's not saying you're saved because of your works. He's arguing your works should be a byproduct of your salvation. So if you don't have any works, he's saying, well, then I can't see any evidence of salvation in your life because works ought to be a result of that, ought to be a product of that. To illustrate his next point, especially with that second question about salvation, he's going to give some examples in verses 15 and 16 of helping people in need, okay? If you have a useless faith, which is a faith not producing works, you're not going to be able to help those who need it. All right, now right away, a couple of you guys are thinking off the bat, all right, wait a minute here. You, can't you help people without faith? Like look at all the nonprofits and charities and good things people do out there and there's no faith component to their mission. And I 100% agree with you on that. However, remember who James is writing to. He's writing to Jewish believers, not to just everybody. He's writing to Jewish Christians who are scattered around the, the region of Judea right now. So for a Christian to help the needy, that's important here. For a Christian to help the needy, you got to go beyond just meeting the physical need of a person. We want to meet their spiritual needs as well. And you can't even begin to do that if the physical need isn't met first. So there's a great story about uh, Mark and Hulda Buntain. If you don't know who they are, they're missionaries to India, and they founded Calcutta Mercy Ministries. If you have not heard of them, I really encourage you, go to calcuttamercy.org. Check those guys out. They operate a hospital, orphanage, Bible college. They feed the masses. They do a lot of good in the nation of India. Well, when the Buntains, many decades ago, and they've gone on to be with the Lord here since, but many years uh, ago, decades ago, when they went to India, uh, none of that stuff existed. And they tried to minister to the people and had very little success. And so one day, as Mark Buntain's preaching, there's a man who shouts in the crowd. He says, why don't you feed us first and maybe we'll listen. And uh, that did it. You know, he, like, Mark Buntain got an idea. Why, why don't I do that? And so he, they, they started feeding people. And as they were meeting physical needs, 
guess what? They were giving them Jesus and they realized they can meet people's spiritual needs in an effective manner. So if you're going to meet someone's physical need, if you're going to, as, as a Christian, you got to give them Jesus too. You can't just say, oh, I'm going to give you the physical need and have that met and then just kind of go on my own way. There's, a, there's another layer of responsibility here. You need to meet someone's spiritual need as well. And oftentimes, you can't just meet somebody's spiritual need until you've helped met the physical need. They actually really go hand in hand here together. And I don't want to go too far down this road because honestly, I really want to come back another time and do another podcast on the you know what what biblical social justice is. And this is really important because I think what we're seeing right now in our culture, especially with social justice right now, it's not healthy. It's just not healthy. The church is getting caught up in social justice which seeks not to unite anybody, but to divide people. And we're, we're wanting to divide folks along racial and economic and sexual identification lines and all those types of things. And God has to tell you that if James were here today, I don't think he would understand why the church is engaging in political and, and, and social justice initiatives and movements, but not giving them Jesus at the same time, Right? So if you want to put the little black square on social media, which, you know, good for you, where's Jesus in that, right? Are you giving somebody Jesus? Do you want to feed the homeless? Man, that's so cool. That's great. Fantastic. Where's Jesus in the midst of that? You know, I, there, there is something to social justice we cannot ignore. We need social justice and we need to enact with that. But however, you got to give people Jesus. It's got to always come back to Christ at the center and I think the church is, is really losing that right now. I think we're losing that. Um, and I'm just not seeing it really. In fact, what I think actually is the church is moving rapidly in a very earthly, political, social justice direction out of guilt and fear. And I, I mean, I'll be honest, I'm, I'm, not gonna go, I'm not going down that path. I might be the only pastor on the planet, and sometimes I kind of feel that, feel that way, who's not going to go down that path, but I am not going down that path. And we'll talk about more of this later um, because I, I, I want to do a whole episode on, on, on that. But you should have good works and they should result from your faith. But you have to make sure, and I can't emphasize this enough, man, you got to make sure that you give people Jesus every step of the way. Otherwise, I would argue even your good works are useless. And, and, I'm, and this is coming from somebody who you know, we, we were campus pastors at a church in the Charleston area for six years, and the lo- the closest food bank in our community was over an hour or, or right about an hour away. And so we, we realized that, hey, there's a real need here. There's not a food bank in the area. And there was a food bank that we were able to start, and we were feeding 150 families or so a month out of that food bank. But you know what? They weren't coming to us to get food. There, people were getting their needs prayed for. There were miracles that were happening. Folks were finding and accepting Christ. I mean, we were giving people Jesus. And that's, that's what I'm trying to say here. You, you got to give folks Jesus, not just meet the need. So uh, we're going to go jump into to, to verse number 17. This is going to take us right to verse 17, okay? And so James is going to make his biggest statement yet in this passage about faith. He's going to say, faith without works is dead. So the emphasis right here is on faith. He says, again, he's saying, you know, faith by itself without actions is a byproduct that can serve as an authenticator. It's just completely dead. And he's, he's, he's not using works as an alternative to faith. Okay, they go together. But I do want to come back to the idea of consumption because he is saying that faith by itself without actions is dead. You can't have it. It's not real. 
is what he's basically saying. Now, that's a really big charge, right? That's really tough for us to swallow, especially if you're listening to this and you're saying, you know what, I can't think of things that I'm kind of doing. So James, is, is he questioning my faith? And, well, I, I mean, and the, and the honest answer is that he is questioning your faith. I'm not questioning your faith, but James is questioning it. That's what we're looking at here right now. So I think depending on your spiritual maturity, it's, it's going to hit harder. So if you're listening and maybe you're a new believer or you don't have faith in Christ yet, but you've, you, you hadn't really gotten to a point where your faith and actions are vitally important, um, because what you're doing right now is you're doing a lot of consuming because everything's brand new. You're learning about Jesus. You're learning about your Christian walk. You're learning about how all this kind of stuff works. You're, you're, you do a lot of consuming early on. Think about you know kids. I, I got a four-year-old and a one-year-old at home. Love my kids. They consume. That's all they do, especially the one-year-old, right? I mean, they, they, they consume. Uh, at least the four-year-old, he, he could go to work a little bit. I got some chores for it, but the one-year-old can't really do much. Kids, as they're younger, consume everything. But as they get older and they have responsibility and they grow and they mature, they're not consumers. They're actually like they, they produce as well, right? They're producers. And so early in your Christian walk, you're going to consume like crazy. But as you grow, there is this expectation that as you grow, you're going to be someone who's, who's producing, not just consuming, but you're also going to be producing. So if you've been a believer for 30 years and you still haven't served, you haven't prayed for anybody, you haven't led someone to Christ, you don't worship through giving, all those types, James is going to say, I'm going to call your question or your faith into question because there should be fruit. You should be a producer. You shouldn't be, you know, a Christian of 30 years still consuming, right? And so that gonna, that'll lead him to write this really anticipated counterpoint argument in verse number 18. So there's a big argument among scholars when you get to verse 18. And verse 18, by the way, is, is, is where James says someone's going to argue that some, some people have faith and others have good deeds. But I say, how can you show your faith if you don't have the good deeds? I'll show you my faith by my good deeds. Okay, so uh, some scholars look at this. There's, there's kind of a, an argument among those guys based on the use of James's pronouns here in the first century Greek language called Koine Greek. Now, I'm not going to get into all that because it doesn't add a lot of value to our conversation, okay? But James, he does include this little counterpoint where someone's going to say, yeah, but you're wrong, James. You can have faith alone and works alone, and they're all separate. And he's insisting, no, the two are joined together. And again, uh, he's going to insist that by challenging the claim that you cannot authenticate your faith without having works with it. Faith includes works. And I keep repeating this because I, I don't want you to walk away with the idea that they're separate or that you need both for salvation because they're not, they are unified. They are joined together, okay? It is the very nature of genuine faith to express itself in action. So what James does to end chapter two is he puts together some examples, all right? So three of them actually is what he's gonna put together of genuine faith and he's gonna switch it up a little bit. We're not gonna focus as much on works as like feeding the poor and that kind of thing as we are gonna focus on the act of submission, um, placing faith and submission in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And I'm gonna, you're gonna see what we're talking about here as we kind of uh, wrap up this this the end of this chapter but James is, is saying that, that that is also an action so the first one is, is is verse number 19 first example verse 19 he makes this statement he goes hey you believe in one God man that's so good for you right right you believe in God exists good deal but so does the devil so does so do the demonic spirits 
And it's almost like James is not even willing to pat you on the back for that. You know, you believe God exists? Goody, let's give you a sucker. You know, J James is James is not impressed. Now, I, I, I'm a little bit different. Uh, if you're somebody who was an atheist, I know plenty of atheists and agnostics. And if you're somebody who's an atheist or an agnostic out there and you come to this belief that, hey, there is a God, God does exist. Uh, that's a big deal to go from no belief to now I believe, okay? Uh, but, but James is going to argue, don't stay there. Uh, don't, don't just stay in that position where, okay, God exists. Great, I'm done. Like there, There's more to it. And what he's actually doing with the statement, he wants, to, he wants you to dig deeper into your ontological beliefs here. So what he's going to do, he's going to separate. And this is where really people have been Christians for a long time. You've been in church for a long time. You're going to get challenged a little bit here because he's going to want you to separate your doctrinal belief that God exists, okay, from your genuine faith that Jesus is Lord. You can believe something is true all day long, but still not like it or submit to it um, and its factual authority. Now, we're seeing this play out right now before our very eyes, aren't we? So as of, as of this podcast recording, it is, it is November 11th. And so we are, we are in the middle of you know, an election right now, election cycle. And the presidential election has been uh, obviously very contested here in America. And so you have two sides. One side says, hey, we won. The other side is saying, oh, no, nah, bro, it ain't over till the fat lady sings and she ain't singing yet, right? So you kind of have that going on right now. The factual truth is one side actually is poised to win as things currently stand. However, the other side is also poised to either diminish that victory or even turn everything around and for in their favor if the legal proceedings and that kind of stuff work out for them. So underneath all of this factual truth, and both sides are, are honestly correct here, okay? Uh, regard, you can have your political opinions all you want, but both sides are, 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 are correct. This, this is factual truth on both sides here at the moment. And the point is that underneath the factual truth that we have right now is there's a resistance to submit to that factual authority. So one side is not going to accept a possible victory. The other side is not going to accept that yes, the results are being examined and yes, the results could change. They're not accepting that. Right? So, so here, here's how this all plays out for our spiritual lives. God exists. That's a fact. He's real. He's out there. Okay? Now, you believe God exists and that God is at work, and you can acknowledge that truth all you want to and still not submit to it and still not accept it. And that's what demonic spirits have in common with the person who simply acknowledges that God is real but doesn't submit to that authoritative statement. On the other hand, the person who accepts this factual statement is someone who's placed the real faith in Christ, and, and, and that does separate you from demonic spirits, because they haven't done that, right? I mean, God exists and He's real. Okay, cool. But we are not submitting ourselves under the authority and lordship of Jesus. We, I think we can all agree the devil ain't doing that, right? And that's what separates you from, from darkness. So let me kind of sum it up for you in this way. Believing the truth without obeying the truth does not save you any more than it saves demonic spirits. And, and demonic faith really implies belief without obedience, and that is, my buddies, useless. It's useless. So next we jump into Abraham. That's the next example right here, verses 21 and 24. 
Now I don't want to spend too much time here, but I do want to point out something that's found within the passage on faith. So James is going to show how faith and actions are inseparable by identifying three ways in which they work together. So in verse 22, he's going to argue faith and actions work together as part of a unified reality. And then James, uh, he says that Abraham's actions did what? Well, they made his faith complete. And that implies this, that they worked together, right? Okay, but there's something else that's, that's deeper here. Again, we'll go to the Greek a little bit. And that's the beauty of this podcast that we're trying to get up during the week, is that we can go deeper here than we could on Sunday morning, as you can already tell, right? So the Greek word used for this phrase, made complete, it means to be, to be brought to maturity. So in other words, faith is a reality which grows and matures a believer. Now, Abraham grew in his faith and he matured in his spiritual walk. And as a result of his faith and actions, you know, they work together in tandem. The third way they work together is that Abraham is being counted by God as righteous uh, in verse number 23. So he nearly sacrifices his son Isaac. And, and that's the action that James uses as an example here. Okay, now, Abraham doesn't actually do this, but he almost went through with it until God stopped him. Why? Because Abraham believed this. He believed God's promise. He trusted God. He had faith, right? He had faith that he would be a great nation, that God would bless him and his descendants. And if it meant giving up Isaac, Abraham just figured, okay, somehow God's going to make this right. You know, he'll, he might raise Isaac from the dead. He might give me more kids. I don't know how it's going to work, but I, I, I believe God's word spoken over my life. I believe God's promise. I'm going to go through with it. That's why his faith is credited as righteousness. You can kind of see faith and actions working together yet again. They're inseparable, and that's why James is going to use verse 24 to wrap this example up by saying a person is shown to be right with God by what they do not by their faith alone. So earlier, James is going to argue that our works flow from our faith in a very natural way, which is true. But here he means works in the form of obedience. So our faith produces another work, which is obedience. So he opposes faith, which denies the obligation to obey Christ. Remember the earlier example with demons in verse number 19. Abraham obeyed. His faith led him to obey, and that's how he was made right with God. And finally, James is going to finish with Rahab, verses 25 and 26. If you don't know her story, or you can't remember Rahab, she was the prostitute who lived in the walls of Jericho. So when Israel is on the edge of Canaan, they're fixing to go in and conquer the, 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 the land. They sent spies out to scout the area, especially to go to Jericho. It was the most powerful city-state in the region, and Rahab didn't... You know, to say to the spies, well, guys, good luck. Hope you don't get caught. <laughs> See ya. Uh, she acted. She actually hid them. And then when the soldiers were looking for them, she, she gave them a way of escape out of the city, right? So whether it's a major player in history like Abraham or someone who's minor like Rahab, James wants his readers to know the principle remains the same. Faith and actions work together, okay? All right, so what do we do with all of this right here? I think for starters, especially the latter half with those three examples we just looked at, uh, it confirms that the Christian walk is, is just not a two-stage process. So we've gotten really good at getting people to make Jesus Christ their Savior in our church circles, okay? 
Uh, but we haven't done a good job of, of, of helping them understand that he's also your Lord. Jesus Christ is both. So he saves us from our sins. That's the Savior part. And we surrender ourselves to him. And we in faith obey and trust and submit to Christ's authority. That's making him Lord of our lives. So think of it like this. If sin is managing our own lives instead of giving God our lives, we cannot actually ask Jesus to save us and then continue to live life however we want to. I mean, that's actually a self-contradiction, isn't it? We need to have Christ forgive us and then save us, and then we follow him and his leading in our lives. The second big takeaway has to do with action. And again, I don't want to spend a whole lot of time here because I want to come back to, to do an entire podcast on this. I think it's really important that we spend time doing a podcast just on biblical social justice on its own. Okay, so I want to do that. But um, social justice is very real. It's very real. We are actively called to engage in it as Christians. So you guys out there who think, well, social justice is just some kind of you know political entity that we don't have to know. No, we have to engage in it. We're called to engage in it. I think one of the unfortunate things about the American church is that we haven't actually done a good job uh, of engaging in it. And part of the reason that I think we're engaging in the wrong kind of social justice today is because we feel guilty that we haven't been doing what we should be doing all along, right? And, and, and there's not a good understanding of what correct social justice is from a biblical perspective. And so now instead of doing it the right way, we're kind of all, you know, we're, I, I think we're going down a path that's going to lead us to somewhere we, we really don't want to go to. Uh, and that's, again, for another, another podcast for another day. But we should be feeding people. We should be clothing people. We should be supporting organizations that do that. We should be serving and using our gifts and our talents that God has given us. We should be givers. Man, yeah, I said it. We should be givers, bro. God's given you resources and finances, not for your own merit, but to be generous in your giving. We should be sharing Christ. We should be leading folks to Christ. We should be praying. We shouldn't just offer up good spiritual sounding phrases. We should accompany those phrases with action. That's what we should be doing, okay? And so social justice really goes beyond political and sociological initiatives. There's a biblical component to it. And again, we're going to come back here not too far down the road, and we'll do a whole podcast talking about that. All right, we're at the end of our time this week. Um, And and here's what I I, I just want to encourage you with. I hope that we can bring a midweek episode uh, to you every single week. Um, But we're in the beginning stages right now of this podcast. And honestly, we're in the beginning stages of our church. We've just, for those of you who who watch remotely or you just found this podcast or someone shared it and you, you actually haven't been here physically, if you're not local, we just launched Radiant Church in September. We're eight weeks old. <laughs> we are babies, man. We're not very old at all. Uh, if you are local, I'd encourage you just to come on out. We're located in Seneca. We're a little bit over four miles from Clemson University at 11075 Watson Drive. That's where you can find us. Um, but we're going to do our best to get midweek episodes up. And some weeks we'll, we'll have an episode like this where we just dive deeper into a teaching. Then we can actually dive on Sunday or we break down a passage we just couldn't get to. Uh, this week's episode was a passage we could not get to, and so we broke it down a little bit. Other weeks we'll have guests on, where we'll have we'll have some interviews, or we'll have in-depth talks about what's happening in our culture at the moment. So that that whole thing, right? Kept hinting, hinting, and talking about, hey, we gotta do a podcast on social justice. We gotta do one on social justice. Um, that that would be a culture topic. 
okay, that we'll, we'll come back to. So uh, I think it's pretty important that we have that kind of thing. So uh, I, I'd encourage you, hey, subscribe to our podcast. Make this something in your Apple podcast, Google podcast, Spotify, whatever. Make it part of your, your, your subscriptions and your playlist. If you got any questions or you would like to contact us, you can email us at media at radiantchurchsc.com. That's media at radiantchurchsc.com. Uh, we'd love for you to follow us on our socials, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. And you can learn a whole lot more, man, about Radiant Church just by going to our website, which is radiantchurchsc.com. All right? If you like what you heard today, hey, help us get the word out to folks. Share this podcast. Give us a five-star review on the platform that you listen to as well. That helps us get seen and pushes us up a little bit there too. So uh, we hope you have an amazing rest of your day wherever you're listening from, man. And we'll see you here next time. Thanks for listening. If you have any questions or would like to reach out to us, you can do so by emailing us at media at radiantchurchsc.com or visit one of our social accounts on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. If you like what you heard today, subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss any future episodes and give us a five-star rating on the podcast platform that you listen to. We hope you have an amazing rest of your day.